Thank you. So this is me as the Roman centurion. Now, my first question is, are the Romans like the Scots? I hope not. I don't know how you girls do it. It's very breezy down here. So, so um, this is our series on the uh, armour of God. So um, I've done okay with some things. My sword is amazing. This is actually a gladiator sword. I got this off eBay. Thanks, musicians. So good for... <coughs> I got this off eBay. Now, I reckon if I went down Joel Street Mall with my, uh, with my chicken hat... Whoops. Whoops. If I went down uh, Joel Street more like this, I think there's a good likelihood I'm going to get beaten up. <laughs> what do you reckon? Just a little bit. However, I reckon if I go down Joel Street more with this, they'll probably leave me alone for a little while. Are you still out there? I can't see it. <laughs> I'll use the handheld. Thank you so much, guys. So, um, but when I preach on the sword of the Spirit, I'll hand this around so you can actually look at it. But this is a Roman short sword, and this is the, gen- this is the genuine sort of thing. Probably a bit more, this would be belonging to, you know, a, a general or colonel or general or something like that and stuff. Made in China, of course. <laughs> but that, that is a nice sword. And I also bought this off eBay. For forty dollars, it's it's a, it's plastic. <laughs> I've had to do it because when I picked it up, without doing the paper mache, it would wobble in your hand. I mean, that would not quench a flying a flying flea, flea. That is a shocker. That one. So it looks alright, doesn't it? You see the biceps? I don't know what you're laughing about there, stuff. So. They're there. They're up. They are there. I tell you, they're just reverse biceps now. They're in the back. This is meant to be. Okay, just, just checking. Just checking, sir. Keep it. Yeah, don't want to. And that is absolutely pathetic. That cost me forty dollars as well. They look better in the picture. It's a dead, dead rooster. That one. So, a little bit of fun. If this is your first time to champion race, you're going to say, is that the senior pastor? <laughs> yes. Uh. So, we've been doing this series, Spiritual Warfare, and today we're going to talk about these things down the bottom. Um, the sandals. These are my gauntlets put on by Dave Bolt. He was so spiritual. He was down there. He says, I'm not even fit to do up the gauntlets of the man of God. He was so spiritual. <laughs> he had to. He had to hold his breath. Boy, I smell so bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah. The, um, we've been doing this series on spiritual warfare. 
And we've been noting that a couple of things, how a lot of what people think about this area is spiritual, it's like superstition. And we're trying to actually say, what does it really mean to be in spiritual warfare? And so that's what we're doing. Next slide. Thanks, guys. So we've seen there's two extremes when it comes to spiritual warfare. One is that we tend to overestimate the power of the devil is in everything or we tend to minimize the devil and um, ignore him right now i'm faced with a number of things just in terms of um, assisting our state with some things that are quite serious in terms of long-term situations multi-millions of dollars involved and there's all these people running around getting really upset and i wonder if anybody had ever just stopped to think it could just be spiritual warfare you know, is it a coincidence that the week before our prayer retreat, that Southside Care has just incredible, almost every staff member gets taken out by sickness or trouble or circumstance? Is that a coincidence? Gary had a shocking week. I mean, a terrible. Is that a coincidence? The moment you try to step up in ministry, the moment you try to actually say, God, I'm going to live for you, you will find that you will get opposition. It happens. The moment you say, God, I'm going to tie this today when you lose your, your bank account, you know. The day you say, I'm going to step up into leadership, that's when you start finding you've got relationship problems. It all just comes down to sometimes it's spiritual warfare. And we don't want to become extreme and think that everything's spiritual warfare because sometimes it's just plain human stupidity. Half the things I get into is my fault because I'm dumb and I'm stupid and I make mistakes. And I think it's a very good to recognize that about one-third of the miracles that Jesus did throughout the Gospels related to spiritual warfare. Not all of them. wasn't 100%, but it means about one-third relates to the evil side, the dark side of the force. I think it's a very good template. That Jesus, who had all power and authority on heaven and on earth, when he went about, about a third of his miracles involved demons and unclean spirits. It's probably about the same for us about a third of your problems is going to be spiritual warfare. And Paul wants us to win in these things, so he gives us great advice. So next slide, thank you. Uh, We need God's power because we will face a variety of well-planned attacks from a supernatural enemy. This is the Apostle Paul's urge, that we do not fight against blood and flesh, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of dark forces. Next slide, thank you. So we saw last week that spiritual warfare is substantially something that we do together. Say together. Turn to your neighbor and says, that means you and me. We do it together. So we are to stand our ground together. And this is the the testido, the uh, Roman turtle-shaped form of defense. And as they're charging the walls of a city, if you want to take the high ground, if you want to take a capital, if you want to take a stronghold, the number one thing that you'll have to face are arrows. Is that right? You know, they're on the balcony and they go, and you've seen on the movies, haven't they? Come down like rain. But if you've got your shields up there, you're going to be okay, aren't you? But you've got to do it together. If one person breaks rank, puts down his shield, then in theory, they all go. United we stand and divided we fall. And often the devil won't try and pick the center. He'll just try and pick one at the edge here, another one at the edge there, and just try to be that spirit of the Amalekites coming along behind, those that aren't quite solid, try and shake them. So we need to stand together. 
My, yeah, okay, some of you believe that. We need to stand together. Okay, next one. So we're inviting you to boot camp because what we're saying is that the average Western Christian actually relates to God like a person in society today would relate to an employer. The employer is the source of money. He's the source then of livelihood. He's the source of blessing. And, and you want to be good to your boss and you want your boss to be good to you. But the employee reserves the right to withdraw his labor. It's not a total submission. It's a mission based on options, preferences, certain things. That's the average relationship that people had today in the Church of Jesus Christ in the Western world. And yet what we've been invited into is warfare and accepting that Jesus Christ is our commander, the commander-in-chief, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. And to do that, we actually have to recognize he is Lord. He is Lord. That means he's the boss. He gets to determine what we do and what we don't do. When the captain says, you will do this, our job is to say, yes, sir, you're the commander in chief and I will obey. To turn your back and run was treason. And of course, as many of you would also know that the only place in which the Roman soldier was not protected in his armor, although this is vinyl, I don't feel very secure in this, but on the back there is no armor at all. So the moment you turn and run from your enemies, you are totally exposed to the enemy when you run. And we've shown you videos of how God asks us to stand. Next slide, thank you. That's the belt of truth. We looked at that. I've got my belt of truth on. Put my knife down. Great. We start with the belt of truth, with is putting truth in your core being. And it's objective truth. It's the truth of God's word. We are meant to know what God says in his word. It stands written that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God in him alone. It stands written that you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. It stands written that you shall um, live on every spoken word of God. You put that in the center. You gird up your center, your core, the center of your being. And the whole armor, the whole Roman armor, not this fancy dress thing I've got on, actually connects to the belt. It's the belt of truth. Next, uh, item of the, uh, next item of the armor we looked at. Oh, well, we'll read this together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, just stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So, brothers, be strong. Okay, well, well you've forgotten already. The week's a long time in church life. Okay, be strong. And in His? Be strong. And in His? Be strong. And in His? 
Very good. So we're to be strong in the Lord. It's not our own strength. It's to derive our strength from being in the Lord. And it's mighty strength. Next slide. Thank you. And we looked at about the body armor of righteousness, particularly last week, that the place here, this is just terrible vinyl, but normally there'll be a breastplate looking like that of metal. And of course, what it's protecting is the heart. And the Bible says that out of the heart flows the very issues of life. Guard your heart above all things. If the devil can get your heart, the place where you believe, the place of your affections, he's got you. And so what he does, he says, I'm going to give you something strong to put on. It's the breastplate of righteousness. And when we then ask the question, is that your righteousness or is it God's righteousness? And it's key to get this right. Because until you get that right, you'll never live in victory as a Christian. But it's God's righteousness that we put on. He is right. So religion's about me trying to present something good to God that never makes the grade, whereas Christianity is about God giving his goodness to us. And we say thank you, but we have to receive it and put it on. And this, this is the dynamic is that so often, I don't know about you, but you want to do something for God and you want to break through and all of a sudden you find yourself back into condemnation because you've messed up and you've got this guilty conscience and the devil's rubbing your nose in your sin saying, Mike, I knew you could never do it. You're a rotten sinner. You know, you'll never make it. They'll all find out that you're a fake, that you're only pretending and stuff. And he rubs your nose in it and you'll never live in victory until you can put on the breastplate of righteousness and shake that thing off and say, now there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus that I now walk up. It's the ability to let God come to your conscience and with his blood take away the sting of your failure. And so you stand up and says, now I'm going to walk in victory because of what God has done. He's paid the price for my sin. And in doing that, you can lift up your head high and walk into the room. There is no failure in God if you let him lift you, if you let him lift you, if you access him. And so that's a very important part of the righteousness is that we understand that Jesus became sin, whom he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Look at the person next to you. They are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When the angels and the principalities, those that have fallen and those alive, look at Rochelle, they're saying, God's right. God's right. He's so right. He's made it right. All the penalties have all been paid. It's all been wiped clean. He gave up his best. He paid the price. So I'm so grateful for that. And if we can walk in the power of that, that means that when you go into the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, that most place, that most special place, you walk in boldly. You don't come in thinking that you're wearing dirty clothes. You go in boldly saying, Dad, I've got something I want to talk to you about. You love me. Jesus has paid the price. And now because of what he has done, I can have access to all the power of heaven in the name of Jesus. It's called grace. Grace. Amazing grace. You will never deserve it. Get over it. 
You'll never deserve it. Just receive it. Amen. Next slide. Uh, Thank you. We looked at condemnation, conviction. Godly repentance leads to change. How do I know that you're repentant? If you change. If you don't change, then you're not repentant. You just got sorry you got caught. Okay? Repentance leads to change. Godly change. We worked on it last week that if you are being convicted of the Holy Spirit, the pain can be acute and it can really grab you but it talks you about what you've done and what you need to do so it doesn't have to be done again. It says you've done this, Mike, you do this, and then you live free. That's all repentance is about. Mike, you lost your temper with your wife. That's what you did. You need to apologize, and now you're free. That's repentance. Isn't that wonderful? Whereas condemnation is, no, it's always going to be the same. She's a, you know, and was just loathing and self-condemnation. It's all about me as the failure. You're a bad husband. You'll never get over your brokenness. You're still a wayward kid left home at 14 years of age, full of rebellion and anger and horrible things and stuff. You'll never make it, Mike. It's about criticizing you. Repentance is about changing the behavior because Jesus has already changed the who he's changed you anyone is born again by the spirit of god is a brand new creature all the old stuff's gone and you are new there's nothing cleaner in the universe than a saint in jesus christ today there's nothing whiter today than a saint in jesus christ there's nothing more virginal today more pure than a saint in jesus christ He's made it happen for you if you can just receive it. You can walk out of here today totally liberated. We sang the songs. But did we let it get into our spirit? Did we actually let it get that he has given us the victory in Christ Jesus? So next slide. Um, okay, we're now going to look about these, the, um, the Roman sandals. And they basically had these like hobnails on them. Um, and uh, they were then laced up along the side so that uh, you could get a good grip on the roads. Uh, If you stepped on someone's foot, they'd go, ouch. Uh, They were relatively comfortable once you've uh, worn them in. They were sort of like those things that would kill you for the first thousand miles because they essentially were usually made out of wood and leather underneath of it. And so they were not the most possible thing. Now, it's interesting that Paul, you know, lists these as a part of our weapon. It's the equivalent of a modern runner shoe. Now, we know when it comes to spiritual warfare that we are asked by Paul to do the same thing four times. Stand. So what are we to do when warfare comes? 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 That's what... Now, standard, standing is actually still a military term. If you want to describe the active troops in the field, you would say that you had a standing army of so many troops. So it's not necessarily a passive thing. It is actually something on the move that's got some clout. And I just want to say that uh, these are incredibly important to have these shoes on. He calls it the, uh, the gospel, the readiness, the standing firm of these gospel shoes, the gospel of peace. You know, a slip in a rugby game might cost you seven points. 
But in a hand-to-hand combat, where you're looking face-to-face at your enemy, a slip can cost you your life. It's really important. Your ability to be able to stand center and be balanced is critical to your success in warfare. And so it talks about stability. It's the gospel of peace, and it's not in the popular view of what peace is. Today, if you talk about peace, people think about, you know, maybe Eastern mysticism or meditation, you know, being peaceful. But this is not peace of God. This is peace with God. The word readiness means firmness. It means to be ready. The Bible speaks of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, but that's not what's intended here. Thank God for that peace, the shalom of God that resides in our heart. But that's not the peace that's intended here. This is peace with God. Your subjective peace of God is dependent totally on your objective peace with God. If you don't have peace with God, you'll never have the peace of God. And humans in their unsaved state hate God. God is their rebels and they're hostile and they actually actively work against the witness of God. It runs a very deep heart. Now, we don't like this. And I think I said at the, um, at the prayer retreat, you know, when we say that we are to be saved, S-A-V-E-D, what are we being saved from? And we've got all these sorts of things. Rain remembers. We have all these things. We've been saved from hell. We've been saved from this and stuff. But you know what we're ultimately being saved from? God. We are being saved from God. And that almost punches us in the head saying, Mike, what are you saying? But it's actually the reality of the gospel is that what happened is that God in his love many years ago gave life to human beings and gave them a kingdom. But they rebelled. (laughs) They rebelled. They told God, we don't want you anymore, God. We want to be our own gods. And they joined Satan and the evil forces in a rebellion. And today, every human being outside of Christ is an active rebellion against the kingdom of God. Now, they're not all aggressive about that. They're not all aware of that. In the same way today in North Korea, there'd probably be many North Koreans eating a small bowl of rice under that abject poverty that would not know that they're in active war. They wouldn't know that. But you start talking about the Bible God, the God who says that you're not allowed to sleep around, the God says, I demand your life. You are to serve me. You are to tithe, you are to do. If you start talking about the Bible God, not the God that we create in our own image, not the butler God, not the Father Christmas God, but the God of the Bible, it's amazing then how the hate and the anger will really come out. It won't come out while they just think they can live their own life and they can do, you know, get their little house, get their car, get their plasma screen, get all the sorts of stuff, but just leave God over there. But if God wants to come, and interfere in the details of my life because he thinks he's Lord or he thinks he's God, then it's surprising how the anger comes out. You only have to talk a few times, you know, start witnessing some to people and you'll find people that are right outside of God and you start talking about God and all of a sudden they get angry with you. Oh, I'm angry that God lets all the orphans die in Africa and stuff. Oh, that's funny because God says he's going to bless you so you can actually do something about it. 
you know, why don't you actually support an orphan? Oh, I'm angry that God does this. I'm angry that God And all this stuff comes out. And the truth is, friends, the average person outside of the gospel has no idea that God is angry at sin. He's angry at cancer. He's angry at abortion. He's angry at relationship breakdown. He's angry at pornography. He's angry at drugs. He is angry because it destroys you and it destroys me. No, it's not popular preaching, but this is the gospel. This is the gospel. But what a wonderful thing. Not only was he angry, but he actually made a way out. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually take out my anger against sin on my son, Jesus Christ. So you don't have to get the anger of God. You can get the love of God. You don't have to get the rejection of God. You can receive the acceptance of God because the penalty has been paid in his son. But he did not overlook anger. And so people don't understand how deep that is. In the book of Second Kings, there's a gentleman by the name of Hazael. And uh, the prophet Elisha comes up to him and starts to stare at him. Just stares at him. Stares and stares. And have you ever been that zone? You know, after someone stares, you know, after a while, well, I'm getting un- uncomfortable. I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> staring, staring. I'm getting uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, Hazael says to Elisha, what's going on here? He says, I've just seen. And Elisha begins to cry, staring, crying, crying. He says, what's the problem? And he says, I've just seen what you're going to do. God's shown me that you're going to come. And you're going to actually betray our nation. And women are going to be killed. You're going to actually kill babies and things like this. And Hazael says, no, not me. Not me. Do you think I'm a mere dog? Verse 13 and stuff goes away. And you know what? He went and did everything that was said. We don't understand as human beings that locked up in us is the image of God. Which means that we are capable of incredible things. Creativity and love and generosity within the human being, but also locked up in us as sin and the desire to be selfish. And that can destroy the cosmos. There's enough sin in me to send me all the way to hell, except for the grace of Jesus Christ. There's enough sin in this room today to destroy the universe and God's angry about it. But he's got a plan and his name is Jesus. He is the way, the life and the truth. And so this is something that we've got to be able to stand in. See, this is about footing, isn't it? It's about a footing. I understand that I have peace with God. This is the stance for battle. This is what centers me, that there's a God out there that's a righteous judge, and that is holy. And unless I'm standing in that, I'll never be able to win in my life. I'll never win in spiritual warfare. Unless I'm standing in the gospel of the peace of God, I won't understand why Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. He's a God of peace that will also crush evil things under his feet. Hallelujah. That is fantastic. So it's about stability. It's also about mobility. If you've got good shoes, then you can move around. You can flex and stuff. And Paul's saying that a part of spiritual warfare is the ability to be mobile, to be ready with the gospel preparation. And time's gone. So I'm going to say this very simple. Part of being successful in warfare is the readiness to walk across the room. Sometimes all you've got to do to live in victory is walk across the room. 
They say that you'll walk about 115,000 miles in your lifetime. You'll walk 10,000 steps each day. But I wonder if you'll walk across the room to say hello to somebody. Will you walk across the foyer to greet someone? Will you walk across the street to knock on someone's door? Will you walk across the playground? All we need to do to be successful in warfare is just walk across the room. And the Bible's about being mobile. This is an army that's not static, waiting for the enemy to come. This is a gospel about me being ready to go with the gospel of peace. It's a readiness to cross the room to the other side and win people to Jesus. All you've got to do is start up a conversation. It's amazing. They can't help themselves. (laughs) They will get there as well. And finally, it's about protection. Without shoes, uh, you could get yourself seriously hurt. Uh, in the modern day, of course, you've got landmines, but in the old days, what they would actually do is, as you were taking on a fortress, taking over uh, protected ground, they'd often build traps, put spikes in the ground, put little things like that. So without good shoes, you could easily be in 